commonly used words in the entire New Testament, and it means to call. And it doesn't mean just to call. What, what typically we understand it, I'm going to give you a lot of contrasts. And so the contrast is what that we're called out from. Yes, we are called out from, but we're called unto. Does that make sense to you? So there's a whole other side to that. We're not just called out of darkness. We're called into light. We're not just called from sin. We're called unto the kingdom. So we got to understand that there's, there's different aspects of our calling. And what oftentimes happens is that there's like a stunted teaching where this is, we're called to this place. But no, Jesus is calling you forward. You have a calling on your life. You were created, say with me, I'm created on purpose with a purpose. You stick around this place, you're going to know that like the back of your hand. We know, this is Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work out to the good of those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. Now let's just say this together. Not everything that happens to me is in relationship to my calling. Not everything that happens to me is in relationship to my purpose. So what happens is, is what we think of all times is that bad things happen to us and we think that that's God's doing something to us. Or we think that this must be the purposes of God in my life because this is happening. That's not what the scripture says. God says he will, that, that not everything that happens to us is a result of God's will. Why? So the, people, the, the obvious question then would be, well, then why do bad things happen to good people? That's one of the most common questions that everybody has. Well, bad things happen to good people for a variety of reasons. But number one, the world is broken and fallen in sin, number, which means there's sinful people, there's broken systems, there's broken people, there's broken places, and there's broken things. And out of that brokenness comes a lot of damage. The other reason is, is poor choices. Poor choices by you, poor choices by others usher in bad things oftentimes. So things that happen to us are not always the will of God. But what God promises to us is that the things that do happen, he will use them for your good. Somehow, some way, the Lord will turn it around for your benefit and he will do it in relationship to your calling and to your purpose. That's what he does. He's always calling you back and, calling, and relating to you back according to your purpose. You're created and called for his purpose. So you're called from and into. We're not just, we're called into a kingdom. Not everything that happens is his purpose. That's very, very big to understand. Because what oftentimes we think, well, it must be God's will. It's the sovereignty of God. That's not always under God's sovereignty. People say, well, God's sovereign over all. What happens is always in line with God's will. So my argument to that is, is rape in relationship to God's will? Well, of course not. Is famine in relationship to God's will? Well, of course not. Is poverty in relationship with God's will? Of course not. Well, then we can't say that then. So we have to understand that while God can, God can work all things out to good, not everything that happens is directly from him. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above. So a good point of reference is if it's not good and it's not perfect, it's not from the Lord. Right? That's, that's a good point of reference. Well, where does it come from? It comes from a devil. It comes from a broken system. And it comes from poor, broken people making poor choices. That's where evil comes from. But good comes from God. And so when we need good, we look to him. We don't, so what happens here a lot of times, and this is where the church has kind of lost its way, is we think that Jesus is the one making everybody sick and the devil's the one that's healing people. There's actually Christians that will say, oh, you got healed. Oh, that's of the devil. Oh, you're sick? Well, that's just God trying to teach you something. It's not in your Bible. It isn't. I'm not saying it's not a valid perspective that people hold, but it's not in the scripture. Doctrine and dogma. Dogma is the opinions of men. 
And we teach dogma as if it was doctrine. You see, we teach the opinions of men as if it was the word of God. And it's not. It just isn't. And so we have to understand that. And so God, not, if it's not good and it's not perfect, it's not from the Lord. It doesn't mean he won't use it, but, it mean, but it, he's not the author of it. Romans 8.30 says, this is again, we're called on purpose with a purpose. God will take everything in your life and move it into your purpose and move it into your calling if you'll allow him to. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. And who he called, he justified. And who he justified, he glorified. What does this mean? This is, this is basically what's over our life. The idea of predestination within the Bible is a very simple understanding. It means a predetermined destiny. So when you receive Jesus, you enter into a predetermined destiny. And that predetermined destiny has many layers and has many facets. Number one, your predetermined destiny is now you're a son and a daughter. You are that now. It is your destiny. You can't change it if you tried. That's part of your predetermined destiny. Not only is that part of your predetermined destiny, God has a role for you to play, a destiny, a place for you to play within his body. He has a place for you, he has a part and a role for you to play in the greater work that he has within the world. So there's a predetermined destiny over everybody's life. And so when you come into Christ, you have a predetermined destiny. You, in, in that predetermined destiny is a calling. So there's an individual calling and there's a corporate calling on your life that relates to your destiny. And here's the thing, and he justifies you. So what does that mean? So what happens is, is when you hear God call and you move into it and the Lord begins to reveal to you the destiny and the greatness that he has put over your life, you didn't put it over your life, he's put it over your life. He, you don't call yourself sons and daughters, he calls you sons and daughters, right? The spirit bears witness with our, our spirit that we are the children or the sons and daughters of God. To as many as believed him, they have the right or the ability to be the sons and daughters of God. You didn't, you didn't ask for that. He gives it to you. And so it says, what makes you think or who gives you the right to call yourself a son of God? Well, Jesus does. And that's what the word justified means. It means he authorizes you into that position. You don't. People don't. And it's the same thing that relates right back to your destiny and your calling. Many of you, 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 there's a calling on your life, and the calling on your life is beyond what you could possibly imagine. Like, wow, that's, that's awesome, that's amazing. I have no idea how to go do that, or I have no idea how to reach that. But then people will look at you and go, well, who do you think you are that you think you can change the world? Who do you think you are that you can do that, or you this, or that? What qualifies you for that? What are your qualifications? Well, according to the Bible, if that's what's over your life, the only one whom you need to qualify you is Jesus. He justifies you to do what it is that he has called you to do. He's the final answer. People may not agree with it, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If God has put that over your life, that's who you are. He's justified. And then this last piece is glorified. So what does that mean? The word glory is multifaceted, but we can use manifest glory. It means to make goodness known. So when we understand we have a destiny and we hear the calling into that destiny and we understand that Jesus is the one who's given me the ability to do this and we start to do it, what happens and comes out of our life is glory. Goodness. Our lives begin to produce glory. He predestines you and he calls you into that destiny. And then you're like, wow, I can't do this. No, it's the Lord who justifies me to do this. And you start stepping into it and goodness begins to flow from your life. That's the process that this verse is talking about. We don't see glory oftentimes because we don't understand that we have a destiny. We don't see calling oftentimes because we don't listen or hear that we have a destiny. And then when we do hear it, there's many of you who've heard the Lord and there's a calling on your life and you know it, but you don't feel qualified for it. That's another part. 
So the people that can't, that never heard the calling, that don't, don't never seen that there's a destiny for them, there's somebody's lied to them or they've never really engaged it. Then there's others who have heard it and do see it and do feel it and do believe it, but they themselves feel unqualified for the job. Welcome to the planet. <laughs> Nobody's qualified. He justifies you and he qualifies you in the process. He calls you what you are long before you get there. That's who he is. He calls, this is classic, he calls you son and daughter. Do you look like a son and daughter of God? Do you feel like a son and daughter of God? Do you act like a son and daughter of God half the time? Probably not. But it doesn't change the fact that that's who you are. He calls you who you are long before you arrive at that point. He calls you more than a conqueror. Anybody got total victory in every area of their life? Anyone, anyone, anyone want to testify on that? <laughs> you do? Awesome. We have victory, but oftentimes we're not walking in that victory. We suffer setbacks all the time. What we are, he calls us into this long before we ever get there. Does that make sense to you? And so what happens is, is we partner with lies and the enemy and we go, well, I guess I could never do that because who am I? I don't have any ministry qualifications. I don't have any background in working with children. I don't have any background in this or have any background in that. God will equip you in the process. He equips the called. So what happens is, is when you start stepping into your destiny, even if you don't know what you're doing, and nine out of ten times what he calls you into, you're not going to have a clue. You're just not. You're going to know steps. And you start, start taking steps, and in those steps, God reveals more and more and more and more and more. The Bible says the path of the righteous is like the breaking of the dawn which appears but as a glimmer, but rises to fullness. So what does that mean? The path of, of the righteous appears only as a flickering light. How you're supposed to follow God is you merely have a flickering light. Well, we want the full noonday. We want to see the whole thing. Well, he doesn't give it that way. And so as we move into these things, he begins to reveal. And what will happen as you begin to reveal, as you begin to step towards the things of God or the things that he's put in your life, if God has called the goodness out of your life for the benefit of all or for the glory of his name, it is of him. And when you start stepping into it and you don't know what you're doing, you'll come up against your limitations. And what will happen is you'll need the spirit of God. You'll need the power of God in your life. And then you'll also need the wisdom of God in your life, which means God, you'll go, I don't know what to do here. And the Lord will show you what it is to do. You may need to upgrade your knowledge. You may need to upgrade your experience. But that doesn't prevent you from starting. You understand? We never start because we never feel like we're ready enough. That's not how the kingdom works. You just start, right? Start. It's true. None of the disciples had PhDs, so you know. They were all just ordinary people. They had, they, God, Jesus worked with them with what they have, and he called them forward. The early church was very simple. They said he's a king. They, when, they, when they judged the early Christians, they said they say he serves a king. Well, look at his subjects. They're a bunch of paupers. They're a bunch of simpletons and fools. There was a song about that. Rich Mullins wrote a song. It says, the whores all love him and the drunks propose a toast. That was literally how they perceived the Christian. A bunch of renegades, a bunch of rogues. But Jesus had called them and equipped them and called them forward. And they just actually were foolish enough to believe it. Society said, who are you? And they go, well, we're nobody, but Jesus seems to think we're something. So I guess we're going to go with that, you know. It's like... That's how it works. And what happens is, is you start walking in this and it becomes more and more and more and it increases. Destiny calling does not increase until you start stepping into it. What has he called you to do? You're justified. Start doing it. What's holding you back? That's a whole other conversation. Next slide. 
So you created for his purpose. So we're talking about five understandings, and I'm going to give you five dimensions of calling, and we're going to break it down a little bit more over the next few weeks. What you need to understand about your calling, ready? Say it with me. It's a gift. It's a gift. I didn't ask for it. I didn't send in a resume for it. He, it's a gift. He's given it to you. Aren't you glad? What a beautiful thing. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but according to his own what? Purpose and grace. He's called you to a life of holiness. What does that mean? He's called you to a life that is clean and pure before him. You don't work on holiness. You're already holy. I got to work on my holiness. Work on my holiness. We think it's externals. It's not externals. It's the pure heart. Whose heart is pure? You're already clean. So here's the deal. We're already called sons and daughters. So we get to practice what it means and discover what it means as we walk towards him and we seek him, what it means to be a son and daughter. We're already holy. So therefore, we get to practice what it means to be holy and what it looks like as we move forward. You already are. You already are. Your position. Your position doesn't always reflect your condition. But nonetheless, your position is what it is. Heaven doesn't see you any other way than that. It's a paradox, but it's, it's truth. So it's a gift. So the gift, of, the gift that is over your life, what God has called you to do is a gift. It's a gift. Say, what Jesus has given me is a gift to me that I might offer to him for his glory and the benefit of the world. And so what's the whole idea of shalom as we create on earth as it is in heaven, the benefit. For we cho- he, he chose us before the creation of the world. Be- listen to this. Before Jesus chose anything, he chose you. You were chosen before he created anything. He chose you. And how did he choose you? To be holy, pure, and blameless before him in his sight and in love. So God chose you. There's a choosing that's over your life. When you come to Jesus, you activate destiny. So you have a destiny of sons and daughters, and then you have an arena of destiny that you are to fulfill. Your destiny of your son, as a son and a daughter, your destiny as a saved child of God does not change. But your destiny, the materialization of what you're actually supposed to do and be, is up to you. That is determined by your choices, your actions, and your partnerships, and your understanding with what it actually is that's over you. You understand that? Your destiny doesn't happen by default. In other words, you may hear your calling and know your calling and see a glimmer of your purpose, and you may think, well, Jesus is actually going to do all of that for me. No, he's not. You have to position yourself towards it, see yourself in light of it, and take the steps into it. That's how it happens. It doesn't happen by default. Well, if God wanted me to do that, he would do it. Not, you know, I'm waiting on Jesus. He's waiting on you. Right? So your destiny as a child of God is sure. That's, in, that's irrevocable. You will inherit his kingdom. You will become, you're born again. You're saved. You inherit the kingdom. That's, that's going to happen. That's sure. But the fulfillment of the other part of your destiny is not. It's predicated upon you and your choices and your partnerships with him. There's always a duality within Christ. And that's why there's tension exists there. Well, is it this or is it that? Well, it's this and that. It's not either or. It's both. My destiny is sure as a child of God. But the fulfillment of my purpose in this world is not. I have to align myself and press into that. And I have to actually do the hard work. The hard work is in discovering it. And that's, that's another part too. And then you, everything's relational. What is it, Lord? How is it? How do you want to do? Like I ask him back here, this isn't my church. This is Jesus' church. I, I, don't, I, I try every day, every time I go up there. I'm like, what do you want to do? What do you want to say? Sometimes he says, just bless the people. 
Other times he's like, I want you to pray for healing. That's back there, and I'm hearing, let your glory rush in like a flood. I'm hearing all these songs, you know, come and show your glory here today. And, and I hear the Lord going, uh, you're inviting me. You want me to do something? And I'm like, well, uh, yeah, sure, you know. And so I'm like, then I start asking him, what do you want to do? He's like, pray for the sick. I'm like, okay, specifically how? Now it's the next question. And he said, pray biologically and pray for injuries. You see, it wasn't like, he'll give you the answer, but what he wants you to do is continue to refine the question. Oftentimes he gives you the answer in a very generic way because he wants you to refine the question. Keep pressing in until you get the definitive answer. I'm, you're called to the nations. Okay, what does that mean? I'm called to work with children. Okay, what does that mean? I'm called to help the poor. Okay, what does that mean? I'm called to help people. I'm called to, you know, whatever, whatever. I don't know what it is over your life, but whatever it is, what does that mean? And then it goes like this, and then it goes like this, and it goes like this, and it will begin to fan out into a greater understanding. Does that make sense to you? This is how it works. This, this stuff, what I'm telling you today, this is gold. This is gold, okay? This has cost me a lot. <laughs> what I'm giving you for free has come at great expense to me, right? But this is how it works. We don't understand how the destiny of God works. I'm showing you how the destiny of God works. I'm showing you how the purposes of God works. It's uncomfortable. It requires wrestling. It requires perseverance. It requires you to go and, and press into arenas and actually become frustrated with yourself. Because the problem is half the time we see things wrongly. Our perception is wrong. That's why we did a whole series on perception before I even talked to you about this stuff. Because we've got to get the perception right before we can ever get, go to this way. So it's a gift. God's calling is for God's purposes. So your gifts, your talents, your abilities, what's on your life, your, what you're capable of performing and doing is a, is a talent. When it becomes a gift is when it's partnered with Jesus. So you have great ability. That's awesome. Whatever it is, you have great ability. What would happen if you took that ability and partnered with the Holy Spirit? Talent becomes a gift. Ordinary becomes extraordinary. You see the difference? Natural becomes supernatural. You'll have wisdoms, insights, powers, and abilities into things no one else gets. Because you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit. So you may be talented and you may be the smartest person in the room. That's great. You should be. And that's, I don't have a problem with that. But do you use that power to serve others? And do you use that power to partner with the Holy Spirit? Your wisdom is nothing compared to God's wisdom. The wisdom of men is foolishness to the Lord. So what would happen if you took what you are and what you are and you partnered it with God? It would open up a lot further. Your calling is, not for, is for God's purpose. It's not for yourself. It's not self-terminating. And the problem is, is we have a culture that teaches it's all about us. And that type of teaching cost pollinates itself into Christian teaching. And so the believer actually begins to think that it's all about them. It's never about you. It's never about you. It's always about Jesus and what he wants. It's always, that's the whole point. And then we give Jesus what he wants, and we believe he pays for it and gives us a tip. That's how it works. It's, what you have is always about him and what he wants to do. And so for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared for us to do. So the greatest use of your life, I just threw this quote in here, is to invest in something that will outlast it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So your calling is unique to your life. So your calling is a gift. Your calling is for God's purposes and the higher good. Right? And your calling is unique to you. It's unique to you. You have dreams. You have abilities. You have insights. You have desires. You have wants. And you have musts that are very unique to who you are. So your calling is going to be very unique to who you are. Does that make sense? 
You are able to do things that other people can't. You have, there's aspects and areas of you that are unique to you. Your calling is going to be tailor-fit to you. It may be the similar callings of other people, but the way the, the Lord operates through you in that area is going to be different. Many manifestations of the same spirit. Is that not what the Bible says? There's many manifestations. So in other words, the way that this moves in this person's life or this calling, wow, we have similar callings to whatever, change the world, we use that one. But the way that the Holy Spirit uses this person to change the world and we're doing similar things is different than the way that I do it. We have a value for what we would call generic or homogenization. We want everything the same. We got Starbucks on every corner, man. Everything's got to be exactly the same. Jesus isn't really into, into, into homogenization. He likes diversity. He loves it. If you don't think, look around. You know, no two snowflakes are the same. No two fingerprints are the same. No sunsets the same. So if he wanted everything the same, it would be the same thing every day. But it's not. We'd all be, you know, if, if, it, was that, if it was our way, we'd all, like, I don't know, be, you know, handsome and 6'3 and, you know, lean. And you'd be, like, beautiful. We'd all be the same thing. But he doesn't do it that way. He likes diversity. So we have to value diversity. We have to devalue the, value the uniqueness of our own life. And we have to realize that the uniqueness in our own life is related to our calling. What you view as a weakness is actually part of your strength. It's just misapplied. You may be misusing an area that God has gifted you with and you may be using it in the wrong way. But it may be something that God has equipped you with to be as your strength. Okay, my whole life, before Jesus, I didn't talk. I was like this. So people remind me when they were, when, when, before Jesus, I would ask them, like, what do you remember about me? And they're like, oh, you never talked. <laughs> then I come to Jesus and now I don't shut up. So that's the difference, right? And I always tell them, the Bible says the tongue of the mute will speak. So when the Holy Spirit is present, the tongue of the dumb or the tongue of the mute will sing. And so I'm evidence of that. The mute speaks now because I have the Holy Spirit. He's freed me. He's a liberator. But all my life, they would say, oh, Kevin, you talk so loud. You know, when I became a Christian, you talk loud. You're really loud. Why do you talk loud? Loud, loud, loud. And so I think, man, what is wrong with me? I talk loud. It's not what's wrong with me. It's what's right with me. I talk loud because it's directly related to the gift set that God has called me to. He's called me to speak and present his gospel. And sometimes you have to speak and present a gospel without a microphone. So you, if, I, if I had just a little whispery voice, you know, we're in a place and nobody can hear what I'm saying. You know, and, but without it, I mean, I could probably teach, teach the room without a microphone. I mean, literally. <laughs> so, but what the point is, is that what people view in you as weaknesses may be something directly related to your strength. You may be so generous, you give everything away. And your friends go, why do you give everything away? You're just giving everything. Your generosity is directly related to your calling. Now you've got to figure it out and how that connects and how God would have you to apply it. You know, your compassion, your mercy. Oh, you're always helping people. Why are you always helping oh, people? Just trample on you. So your compassion and your mercy may be directly related to your calling. It just may be misapplied or misunderstood. And so what you have to do is present it back to God and let him affirm it. Pick something. I don't know. I'm just, I'm randomly giving you guys something. But there's areas of your life Right? I met a woman one time. I did this thing at the school. And I did this training session at a school. And it, it basically, it's strength finders, if any of you have ever done it. And they break down uh, all of these top strengths. And one of the strengths was competition. And competition always wants to win. Right? Competition's always sizing up the other person. And always is looking for the edge in how to win. 
was a woman there that had competition. When I explained it to her, she starts bawling. She said, all my life, people have told me that this was a weakness. I said, it's not a weakness. I said, it's a strength. I said, you may be misapplying it, but it's a strength. And I said, the genius of, of competition is it finds the competitive edge. It's able to compare and it's able to, to, to find the competitive edge. And I was just trying to share with her how to use it. It's a strength. So there's parts of you, there's pieces of you, there's things about you that other people have condemned that you've taken for granted that are actually part of who you are and how God's made you and how he's wired you. Yeah, we could pull that apart all day, but that's the point. So your calling's unique. Jeremiah says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I already knew you and I set you apart to do this thing. And I ordained you as a prophet to the nation. So Jesus knew him, but it was up to Jeremiah to enter into what he was ordained to do. Jeremiah had a choice the whole time. If you read the, God, if you read the prophet Jeremiah, he had a choice. The Lord said, go, but Jeremiah had to agree. And Jeremiah, the, Jeremiah had a difficult ministry. And you can read in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah walked away. He said, I'm not doing this anymore. It's like, this is way too hard. Nobody likes me. You know, but Jeremiah, you're the pastor. You got to go. No, nope, nobody likes me. I'm not going anymore. Not going to happen. And he left. And Jeremiah left. And the Lord didn't pursue him. He let him go. Because Jeremiah had a choice to enter into what Jesus had called him to do. In his case, it was to speak to a nation. Right? And it says, and Jeremiah returns back to the ministry. And he said, because his word was like fire in me, I couldn't contain it. He said, I could not keep myself from the thing that God had created me to do. But he had a choice. You have a choice. You can enter into it or you can just wave it as it passes you by like a long rolling train. There it goes. There goes my, <laughs> there goes my destiny. There it goes. I'm rolling by. <laughs> Eating popcorn. Yeah. Guess what? Your destiny is probably a circus train, so you know. It's probably wild and crazy, right? It's not going to be clean. It's not going to be tidy. Not everything's going to be perfect. So you may as well get rid of that idea. Next slide. Say it with me. It's not messy. Or it's not, it's not perfect. It's messy. But it's good. It's true. Your errors and your abilities don't change your calling. You know what that means? You can't screw it up if you tried. You are called to do something. And if you make mistakes along the way, that does not disqualify you. Romans, the gifts and callings of God are what? What does that say? Irrevocable. He doesn't change his mind about you. He has called you and ordained you to do something. He doesn't change his mind. You might, but he hasn't changed his. What if you were not challenged by your inability, but you were challenged being challenged by your ability? What if when you were confronting something, the challenge against you wasn't to show you what you were unable to do, but the challenge towards you was for you to invite you in to discover what you are capable of doing? What if God wasn't dealing... We'll say it again. What if what you were confronted with... <laughs> What if what you were confronted with was not to show you your inability, but to show you your ability, to show you what you're actually capable of doing with a simple pivot or a simple turn? What if God wasn't dealing with you in relationship to sin? What if he was dealing with you in relationship to identity? What if every time you were doing something wrong and the Holy Spirit was partnering with you and he wasn't pounding down on you, showing you what a sinner you were, what if he was speaking to actually speaking a language to you and saying to you, Kevin, that's not who you are? What if he was saying that? We've been trained to hear a voice that is not the voice of our father. We hear a voice of condemnation. That is not the voice of your father. There is what? Eight, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore what? Now. Right now, not yesterday, not tomorrow. Right now. No condemnation. None. 
some condemnation. No, there's none. He's dealing with you in light of your identity, not in light of your sin. Sin has been dealt with. Jesus does not see you in light of your sin. Romans 6 says, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. In other words, that person's long gone. Stop seeing yourself. You see the same thing again in Corinthians, where Paul is correcting the church for all the sin that's going on among them. And he says, listen, you guys got to understand, this kind of behavior doesn't bring inheritance in the kingdom of God. And this is not who you are. That's what he tells them. He's not condemning them in their sin. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor covetous people shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's where we stop. Next verse says, and such were some of you. So what is he dealing with? Is he dealing with the heart of God? He's not dealing with them in light of their sin. He's dealing with them in light of their identity. Exactly how the Father is. This is not who you are, so stop acting like it. He's not going, right? I come from sweat flying off of people. Sin. That doesn't doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Paul says the love of God compels me. Jesus sees you for who you are not. And he calls you to it long before he sees the true you. And Paul says, because no one loves me like he does, I follow him. Because no one calls me like he does, I follow him. Because no one cares for me like he does, I follow him. He's like, I'm not following him because Jesus is beating me with a stick every time I go wrong. Well, I guess I'll try it again, Lord. No, God is calling you up. He's calling, he's never calling you out. He's calling you up. We have to change the perspective and we have to change the voice that we listen to or the tone of voice that we listen to. What if we were to look at just two verses? I'll give you two verses from the Old Testament in Genesis and I'll, pro, I'll, pro, I'll present them to you in two entirely different ways and you tell me which one's the heart of the Father. When Adam sinned, God comes into the garden and looking for him. Is, Adam going, is God coming in the garden going, Adam, where are you? Does he think that's what he's doing? Or is he coming in going, Adam, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? What do you think of Jeremiah when he says, my people don't come to me days without number? Do you think he's going, and my people don't come to me days without number? Is that what you think he's saying? Or do you think he's saying, my people don't come to me days without number? Which one's his heart? So what tone do you hear his voice from? We have to hear the right tone. Ephesians, that's not oomph, 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 oomph. That's Ephesians. I don't know how that happened. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably above all we could ask or think according to the power that works within us, you don't have the ability to do what he's called you to do anyway. You have a measure, okay? We all have measures, but when we partner with him, we get fullness. Understand? I could stand here and talk to you without the Holy Spirit, the power on me. I don't want to open my mouth without the Holy Spirit on me because all I'm going to give you is measure. But if I open my mouth with the Holy Spirit on you, I'm going to give you fullness. I'm going to give you everything I got and everything the Spirit wants to give through me. See the difference? You have abilities. You have natural abilities. Your natural abilities are only measure. Partnered with the Holy Spirit, it becomes fullness. Whatever it is. You have an ability to write. Okay, well, what would happen if you have a measure? Wow, you're amazing. You're better than anybody I've ever seen. What would happen? I heard a guy, he wrote a book, amazing book. And he said, the Lord told him, he said, do you want to write a book? And he said, yes, Lord, I'm writing a book. And he said, well, I want you to write my book. So I want you to get rid of your manuscript and I'm going, to, I'm going to show you how to write my book. And he said, daily he began to let the Lord speak to him and write his book. He said it was his number one book, best-selling book, everything. Just couldn't believe it. Because he could do it in measure, but Jesus is like, I'm going to show you fullness. You see that? 
You have abilities. I mean, no one is denying your natural abilities. Some of you need to know that you have, actually have natural abilities. But your natural abilities are maximized when it's partnered with the Spirit. That you go up. And that's what He wants. So you don't have the ability to do anything, essentially, into what God's called you. But He will give you the power according to the power that works within us. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. So here's the last one. Calling comes through connection. We think that we can live our lives isolated from a church and from a church body. This is, again, a cultural thinking. We, everything happens in the context of community and relationship. We are called to be connected to a church. The Bible says, He that does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, to him be glory in the church. The literal rendering is through the church. Through the church. It's like a woman. The glory, she's impregnated within her. So the glory is within the church. The goodness and the power of God within your life is actualized through the community of the church. Jesus has created the church. It's a great mystery. doesn't make a lot of sense, right? I mean, you know, it, doesn't, it really doesn't, but there's something that happens in the atmosphere when God's people come together. Something happens. And so the glory and the destiny is found in community in partnership with one another. Lots of foolish things that Jesus does, but that's where his power lies. He takes the, one of my favorite verses, and I always, I've thought about this a lot, he says, God takes the foolishness of preaching to change the world or to save the world. In other words, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get some foolish, crazy looking dude. and I'm going to put him up there and he's going to talk and he's going to share my word. and He's going to talk from my spirit. And I'm going to use that as a tool of transformation. Well, that wouldn't be the way you and I would go about it, but that's what he chooses to do. And he chooses the same thing in the context of the church. He does the same thing. So your calling comes through connection and comes through community. We're a body. Okay, you got a great, some of you, you know, you got muscles. So you got really strong arm, man. You got like guns, right? <laughs> Summer's coming. You're going to break out the gun show. But if we were to cut that arm off of the body, that arm, no matter how strong, is useless. Useless. Whatever it may be, if it's disconnected from the body, you can have an amazing heart. But if you disconnect the heart from the body, it's absolutely useless. So there's an interconnection between the body of Christ, which is the church. We are interconnected one to the other. The challenge of the leadership is to make the community authentic, right? Give it what Jesus wants, but make the community real. Be, you know, make it real. And it's messy, right? Church is never perfect. It's always messy. Just like you, just like your family, just like your faith. Every part, it's messy. The difference is, is the one that's in charge of the mess, he's, he knows what he's doing. So that's the difference. When it comes to relationships within the church, we need to be experts at this. We need to learn how to forgive each other. We need to learn how to acknowledge and apologize to one another. You say, what if they don't receive the forgiveness? Well, that's not what the Bible tells you to do. It just says, as much as depends upon you, dwell peaceably with all people. You might want to, somebody might hurt you or offend you, and you might apologize to them or try to reconcile, and they won't. They won't. Well, that's not on you. You've done your part. The Bible says the spiritual people are the ones that seek restoration. You that are spiritual, restore. So the fact that you're even offering yourself in a restorative posture is evidence of your spirituality. Well, let's flip that on its head. If you don't want restoration, the Bible would say you're unspiritual. Ouch. Yeah, don't say you're mature. You're not. You can be a baby. That's all right. But you're not mature and you're not operating from spirit. Anyway, that's just a thought. Throw that in here. Okay, last, last couple slides. <laughs> Come right up in the living room. Let's get out and get on the couch, see where that goes. So here's the five dimensions. You're called to be loved. So what are the dimensions of your calling? Your first and primary understanding in your calling is that you're called to be loved. You're called to be loved. And love is in a posture of letting God love you. You understand this? 
So many people have a hard time letting God love them. You say, how do you know that? You can see it in the atmosphere of worship. When worship's in the room, you can tell the people that are letting God love them because the Spirit is moving on them. You can tell the other people are just kind of standing back, letting it happen, which is fine. It's not, a, it's not an issue, but you have to let Jesus love you. Let him love on you. Let him love on you, right? We have to let him love on us, and then from that context, we're able to love others. So this love is both experiential, and it's God's process of seeking the highest good. Part of, God, part of your calling is to be loved. When you release that love and you let Jesus love you, you'll be amazed what happens in your life. And that's a whole other story. I won't get into that. So you're called to belong. This is the whole, again, the idea of the family, the connection. So I'm writing to you so that you will know how to live in the family of God. That family is the church. So our calling is to be loved of our Father. Let Him love us. We'll practice it. Say, I don't know how to let God love me. Practice it. Lord, teach me to let you love me. That's a simple question. Teach me to let you love me. He'll let you, right? Let, you, let, him, let him love you. And that love's going to change you. That love's going to transform you. That love's going to renew you. And that love's going to free you. You're called to belong. You're called to, be, you're called to become. So again, this is a self-discovery component of it. It's not self-discovery for the sake of self-discovery. It's self-discovery so that you can know where you fit and how, how your life applies and what God has called you towards. For whom he foreknown, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Your first calling is a son and daughter. And we begin to ask the question, what does that mean? What does that look like? Okay, Lord, I'm a son before you. What does that mean? What does it look like? I get to practice this, so show me how it means to be a son and a daughter. That's one aspect. Last slide. You're called to bless. God has given each of you special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other, passing them on to others as God's many kinds of blessings. What God has given you is not to terminate with you. You have much to offer. And we're to be generous with what we have. We're to bless other people. But here's the thing. You can't bless out of a void. If if your spiritual bank account is empty, you can't bless from a void. You have to learn to receive before you give. And so generosity is not just spiritual. Generosity can be emotional. Generosity can be affirming praise, can be uh, encouragement. It can be a lot of different things. But we can't bless out of a void. We have to learn to let God do these things in our life. And then he that's freely received, freely give. We give out of what we've learned to receive. So learning to receive is a really big part of what we are and who we are. It's huge. Huge. You're called to go. And what does this mean? You're called to take the culture of heaven into the world. Well, what, again, what does that look like? Well, it looks like simple things. It looks like individual and it looks like corporate. It looks like reaching out to people who don't know Jesus. And do what? Show them the love of God. Call them to church. Invite them to church. Come and let them hear the gospel. If you can share the gospel with them, go for it. It looks like reaching out to people. That's heaven's culture. Salvation and healing and hope and life unto the, unto the others is, is good. Lifting people's burdens. Jesus Christ went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. What does it look like to take heaven's culture? It looks like restoration. There's things that are broken that we can restore. There's things that are broken that we can add life to. We're doing a school, in case you don't know. (laughs) Why are we doing a school? What's the point of doing a school, Kevin? Well, the point of doing a school is because, how many knows we have an education? Kids should be educated, right? We can agree with that. 
But can we agree that our education system's a bit broken? Can we agree with that? Right? And any of you got kids in school, you'll realize, wow, there's some really some serious problems here. <laughs> there's some brokenness here. We want to restore a place that's broken. So we want to bring restoration. We want to do a Christian school, God-centered school, mindset school, change-set school. So we're called to reach out, we're called to restore, and we're called to raise up. And again, this is why corporately as a church we're pressing towards this school. We're raising up something. We're called to raise up something that doesn't exist. Something that's good that's not there. So we restore what's broken and we raise up something that's not there. We fill voids. We bring change. And that's, again, like the, the whole missional mandate behind what it is that we are going for as a community is to restore a broken system or be a part of the restorative process in a broken system. And we're, we're wanting to raise up foundations of many generations. We want to raise up something that can outlast us. We want to raise up something that can produce something for the kingdom, right? We can produce something. We can change people's lives and change the way that people think. We can take kids that wouldn't have these opportunities and we can bring them into a system that enables them or at least gives them the opportunity to see the world differently and to think differently and to receive things differently. You're called to do the same individually. Reach out. What's around you? Where can you add value? What can you restore? Right? What can you raise up? What can you raise up that's good? What can you raise up that benefits other people? It can be simple things. It can be simple things. But God will show you. So we're called to do this individually, and we're called to do this as a community. And so the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these things a little bit more. It's about really kind of hearing your calling and really kind of understanding what, what that means and, and kind of entering into this a little bit. All right? Did you guys get anything out of this? Yeah. yeah? All right. Let me bless you. Come on. Come on. We clap. Yeah. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. So we got Discover Elevate. If you're new to the church and you want to know anything about Ele Discover Elevate, we're going in there? That's EMT. Where's EMT? What? In the nursery? Well, what's going on in there? Okay, so we're going in the nursery. All right, so shit, my wife's directing me to the nursery. So if you wouldn't do EMT, we're, or excuse me, uh, Discover Elevate, we're going to meet in the nursery in about five minutes. Uh, EMT is going to meet in the middle room, correct? And School of the Prophetic is going to be at 4 o'clock this afternoon. All right? Sign up for a life group. We love you. God loves you. Have a great week. All right. Stay.